0: ...day of Pentecost comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter. Listen for the Word of God. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen! A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And now skipping down to verse 18, this is later in the day when Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. Hear then the parable of the sower. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Or if you're into Baroque English or grew up on the same Bible translation as me, behold. This is how Jesus begins a very well-known parable in this week's gospel text, the parable of the sower. He's been in a private home with his closest confidants, his disciples, his crew. Now he's walked out of the home and behold, look, listen, there's a large crowd. His popularity is a provocative preacher and Miraculous Healer are drawing more and more people. But this crowd is not his crew. Anyone could be in that crowd. In that crowd, there could be spies from the militarized state, operatives from the occupying empire, critics from the religious establishment. There could be Antifa and Boogaloos and Black Lives Matter activists, and allies, and accomplices. There could be militia, and journalists, and cops, and clergy, and undercover cops, and undercover clergy. There could be families, and cyclists, and congresswomen, and people going to work. The crowd was large, diverse, and unpredictable, as crowds can often be. So rather than contend with that crowd, Jesus finds his way to a boat, and speaks to the crowd from the sea. Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest and author, sees his figure swaying a little with each lift of the waves, his words full of life, and yet as hard to hold as a handful of lake. From the water, Jesus takes us down to earth, literally takes us to a story on the earth and in the earth. It is very likely that Jesus is even drawing people's eyes and ears and attention to an actual farmer working on the hillside. A sower of seeds that they can literally see in the moments that this story was first told to that large and diverse crowd two millennia ago. So look and listen. I was taught when I was young that parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I think over time, and even recently, I've come to realize that even more than that, parables are alive. They melt and mold to the moment and take on the life, the needs and hopes and pain and possibility of those who are listening. Parables are alive. They are cast across the earth. They break open. They push down roots. They bloom into fruit that feeds These earthly stories with heavenly meanings are alive, so never hesitate to revisit an old familiar parable and relive its beauty, goodness, and truth. Look, listen, a sower went out to sow. You know, I think I used to feel shame about the thorns and the rocks and the birds. I used to feel the guilt When I was not growing enough, or holy enough, or faithful enough, I felt that if I was stuck, or struggling with hurts, or habits, or hang ups, that the message of this familiar Sunday school story was basically get your soil right. I used to feel the apocalyptic urgency to be sure I was fertile soil so that I didn't experience this guilt and this shame. In the devouring and scorching and choking and withering that comes from it. But shame is a liar. Shame whispers in your ear that you're not enough. And the generous sower in this story put the seeds on all this different ground in the first place. And guilt is a parasite guilt attaches itself to people who have been freed by the love of God. And after all, this generous sower in the story put the seeds on all the different ground in the first place. So not only does the perpetuation of shame and guilt make that reading of the text theologically problematic and regressive, that reading also has a pretty low view of the sower professionally. Like, does this farmer even know what they're doing? I mean, I'm new to farm life myself, but even I know that I need to get the rocks out of the garden. Even I know that I need to keep the birds away from the seeds and the plants. Even I know not to plant seeds on the path, or in my case, the gravel driveway. Even I know that thorns and weeds will choke out the life of the plants I'm trying to grow. So does this sower... Lack knowledge? Are they foolish? Is the sower careless and wasteful? No, of course not. This person is a pro. They've been raised on a farm. They've learned to work the land since they were young. Their very livelihood and that of their family depends on them getting a good yield on their crops. The sower isn't ignorant or foolish. Careless or wasteful. The sower is extravagant, generous. The sower is liberally distributing the plentiful seeds of nourishing food and healing medicine on every terrain of this beautiful and diverse, yet sadly sick and hungry earth. The soil is not a measuring stick for us to judge ourselves or others. Or decide who's in or who's out. Or hand out helpings of shame or guilt. This preoccupation is deadly. And it ignores the holiness of every seed cast from the hand of an extravagantly generous and radically loving God. And again, Barbara Brown Taylor says, What if this story is not about our own successes and failures and birds and rocks and thorns? But what if the story is about the extravagance of a sower who flings seed everywhere, wastes it with holy abandon, confident that there is enough seed to go around, that there is plenty, and that when the harvest comes in at last, it will fill every barn in the neighborhood to the rafters. The story, it turns out, is not about you and me and in our efforts, but about God's abundance and God's generosity. Oscar Wilde, the spicy satirist of the 19th century, says, Everything in moderation, including moderation. Well, if indeed Jesus is pointing our attention to God through observing the daily grind of a farmer he's referencing on a nearby hillside, then Oscar Wilde would approve, because God clearly does not practice moderation. God is unrestrained. God is extra. God is throwing the seeds of grace And mercy around with reckless abandon. Grace, mercy, grace, mercy. Abundantly and joyfully, grace, mercy. And all of these because God is love. Revisiting Oscar Wilde, he also says, Where there is no extravagance, there is no love. And where there is no love, there is no understanding. And here... On this hillside, there is all of the above. There is love, extravagance, and understanding. So look and listen. Now, in addition to refocusing on the true main character in this story, the generous sower, we must also recalibrate ourselves to the true setting of the action. Jesus says, look, listen, drawing our attention to a farmer at work. And what kind of land are they working on? You know, last year, we moved from just a couple miles from St. John's all the way to an emerging farm in Licking County. Our seven and a half acres are slowly evolving into Wildflowers Therapeutic Farm, where my wife Jeanette, a licensed professional counselor, will practice someday. And I've grown to love the wide open flat land and the rolling hills with corn and cattle and peach orchards. But I learned this week from Corey Driver, a Lutheran theologian living in Indianapolis now, after having been a part of Jacob's Porch, which is the Lutheran campus ministry here at Ohio State, I learned from Corey that the land in Palestine, by the Sea of Galilee, is not flat land and rolling hills like it is near Utica, where I live. It is more rugged and mountainous than central Ohio. When Jesus said, Behold, and the crowd looked and listened, they would have seen terraced fields. A series of fertile soil, rock-retaining walls, where, of course, weeds and thorns would grow more easily, and then paths that allowed the farmer to access the crops. Soil, rocks, path, soil, rocks, path, all the way down. Agricultural terraces are common in mountain regions. They are built to provide a larger surface area for cultivation on hill slopes and to aid farming production in the long term. In a single throw, a practiced farmer, a seasoned sower, a professional, would likely get seeds on all four of these distinct places, the path, the rocks, the thorns, and the fertile soil. And that's okay. It's all good, as we say here at St. John's. It's not something to experience shame or guilt about because the rain would then do the work. In the Scriptures, water represents the presence of God. And in this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, the water, the presence of God, would move the seeds down the mountain from the paths and the retaining walls with their birds and weeds. And the rain would move the seeds into the soil where they could take root. So now that we are looking at this generous sower and listening to the life-giving rain, we can let God move us. Corey Driver said, Go with the water. Go with the water. Some of us have had Rocky times. Some of us have had thorny experiences. Some of us have spent our fair shares on the path where the chaos and noise and traffic grind us into dust. Some of us have felt the devouring and scorching and choking and withering that life sometimes brings. Octavia Butler, in her novel, named for this particular Bible story, knows of the pain of life. She says... The world is full of painful stories. Sometimes it seems as though there aren't any other kind. So let us not take on shame or hand out guilt. Instead, let us have empathy for others and gentleness for ourselves because the thorns and rocks and birds point to the suffering life, suffering in life that can get any of us down and hold any of us back. Everyone suffers. Everybody hurts sometimes. But everyone also has the seed from a generous sower for living a fruitful and abundant life. This suffering, this hurting, is part of the circle of life that all of us experience in one way or another. Thomas Lloyd Qualls, a contemporary novelist, said everything must break open. In order to live. Everything must break open in order to live. The seed must break open in order for the tree to grow. The egg must break open in order for life to emerge. The earth must be turned and the cloud must burst. Look. Listen. This being buried and being broken is the primary mark of a seed that actually then grows. And right now, We need to listen to the wisdom of the seed. We need to listen to the seeds that have been cast across the earth, the seeds that have been buried, the seeds that are breaking open. We need to listen to the cries of children caged at the border. We need to listen to the indigenous people who know their ground is sacred and don't believe their mountains should be defaced or fossil fuels should poison their water. We need to listen to black and brown and other people of color leading a new way of imagining how we can all live together in peace and equality, in liberty and justice. We need to listen to the sounds of marching and protesting. Listen to the prayers for change to a system that has funneled some into scraping out life from rocky and thorny soil and funneled others into fertile ground just because of the color of one's skin. We need to listen to the wisdom of the seed. The storyteller swaying on the boat in Matthew's gospel is no stranger to this burying and breaking. Marcus Borg, in *The Heart of Christianity*, a book that was recently studied here at St. John's in Pastor Ginny's Wednesday evening class, Borg says, "If Jesus had only been a mystic, a healer, and a wisdom teacher, he almost certainly would not have been executed. Rather, he was killed because of his politics." because of his passion for God's justice. He was buried and broken because he was leading a new way of imagining how we can all live together in peace and equality, in liberty and in justice. The seed is cast. The water of life carries it. The seed breaks open. The root pushes and presses into the earth. And those we thought buried begin to rise up Rise up and bloom. Dinos Christianopoulos wasn't his given name, but he wrote under this name, taking on a surname that means Son of Christ. He was often criticized and ostracized by his community because he was gay. Christianopoulos said in the 1970s of his experience of being devoured and scorched and choked and withered because he was gay, he said... You did anything to bury me, but you forgot that I was a seed. Then the Zapatista movement in Mexico, fighting for the equal rights of indigenous people, picked this phrase up in just the last decade, and it began to show up in their sacred graffiti, which is still a powerful art form for carrying prophetic messages. (inaudible) Quisieron enterarnos, pero se les olvido que somos semillas. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. This image here is a mural in Columbus on East Main Street between Champion and Kelton. So check it out. Those who've been cast and buried and broken will rise up. It is a biological principle, it is a spiritual principle. It is the path of Christ, it is the message of our faith. Journalist Ann Shalmina observes that during difficult times the metaphor of seeds holds particular emotional sway the idea that those who have suffered immensely might help bear the fruits of justice later on has taken on global resonance Resonance. look, listen the seed has a lesson for each of us an ancient lesson that is also as fresh as the last breath you took Just like the indigenous Zapatistas of Mexico, the indigenous people of the Great Lakes region where we live knew the spiritual richness of the seed. Robin Wall Kimmerer explores this in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. She says, In native ways of knowing, human people are often referred to as the younger siblings of creation. We say that humans have the least experience with how to live and thus the most to learn. We must look to our teachers among the other species for guidance. Their wisdom is apparent in the way that they live. They teach us by example. They've been on the earth far longer than we have been and have had times to figure things out. Kimmerer continues, speaking of plants. They live both above and below ground, joining sky to earth. Plants know how to make food and medicine from light and water, and then they give it away. Hear that again. Plants know how to make food and medicine from light and water, and then they give it away. So look, listen. May you be seeds cast from the hand of a generous and extravagant God. May the water of God's presence move you through the paths and the thorns and the rocky walls. May you find yourself buried in the fertile soil May you break open so that your roots can go deep. May you rise up. May you bloom. May you make food for nourishment and medicine for healing from the divine light and water in your life. And then, may you give it away. Look, listen. Amen.